everyone. As always, I'm Darren Carp, and I'm here with two two daddy co-hosts, cats. two daddy cats, two mama bears. Um, <laughs> I might have to be the mama of this podcast. I that know. Feels wrong. I know. It feels wrong. But uh, John announced a little. John had a lovely birthday, and John, you that's right. You got a you got a partner, a new partner in crime. My family has expanded. It's a boy. And uh, yeah, yep. if you listen to NMR the other day that's just been released, uh, you yeah. hear the big news that I have a new kitty. His name is Magic, and he's here with us. And, he, and yeah, he's so cute. And Magic is such a good name. And I'm just so excited for you. And you know what? When I get a cat, I always wanted them at a year. My brother's cat, Magnolia, he got her at a year. Ooh, I like, like he that rescued name. her. Mm-hmm. He lived used to live off Magnolia. Oh. Uh, so it was just, and she, and she came with him to New York and she's just a little butterbean butterball. She's just a little, <laughs> she a little yeah. Thanksgiving turkey and she's a yeah. Christmas ham. She oh, Christmas that's so ham. sweet. I love that. So, so Magic and Magnolia can date. Can date. Yeah. They're a little bit of an age, they there's a little bit of an age difference, but, uh, yeah, Listen, I'm they really can't have any kittens because I'm about to get magic neutered. So sorry to tell you, but they could be friends. It's that 2023. Just hang out. Anything, yeah. anything could happen. Anything could happen. That's a good point. Yeah, that's. A and good if point. you want to see magic, you have to belong to our Patreon because our new perk is that we're actually filming on video. I am in a house right now with four cats. John has one cat. We're pointing at the camera. I'm giving the loser sign just so everyone knows that it's really me. <laughs> Is it really me? Right. It could be a hologram. I have to give John a losery sign in every sort of way, but yeah. it's a new Patreon perk. So I'm in a different setting. John, hopefully, will add like I think we need something. to change our backgrounds every time. Yes, yeah, something, something in some sort of way. Change. Yeah, something needs to change for sure. So some something needs to change, but uh, we're here. But I yeah. actually thought of you. I f- I forgot to mention this because uh, Aaron Rod, who places I'm staying at, just got me the. Um, those Ray-Ban sunglasses of the video that can, you can post to Facebook. <gasps> the snap or, um, wait, Oh, I don't know those. Yeah, but they're Maybe not snap. They're Ray-Bans yeah, yeah. with meta, but yeah. they go right to Facebook and stuff. Oh. Anyway, I thought of you because of the Google glass thing. She um, just gets you a random tech, tech glasses like that. Wow. I mean, let's be fair. They gave it as a holiday gift. And she <laughs> didn't want them, so she Does she work at meta? Me, I didn't realize that. She does. She's very sweet. Uh, I think like Hulu gave it as a gift. I don't oh, okay. know. Okay, I see what you're, I see I what you're saying. Them, okay, so. gotcha. All right. Yeah. yeah. You need to so. wear them at some point in anyway. our video for whenever we um are recording. So. I think I should, and yeah. then we could do like it would be meta of me to yeah. film <laughs> my view of what you guys look like of yeah. me on video. I love me. this. I love this. There we yeah. Go. And, and by so the way, before we get in. And before we get into the show, uh, yeah, sign up for Patreon because if you sign up at a certain tier, you can get our video podcasts uh, every Sunday, and it's it's pretty incredible. You need to get into it. Amen. You got to get into it. And speaking of getting into it, let's get, let's get into, into it. <laughs> That's good. All right. Well, on St. Patrick's Day, two thousand two, in Darren's town of Los Angeles, California. Maria Martinez right. uh, was having a typical evening. She lived at the Midnight Mission, which was a rehabilitation home for individuals who were homeless or addicted to drugs. She sold drugs and earned money as a sex worker, as well as selling loose cigarettes to passersby in the Fig- Figueroa Corridor. Hopefully, is that right? Figueroa? Mm-hmm. 
A yep. thirty yep. yep, a thirty block area known for, you know, prostitution, drugs, crime, things like that. Not exactly the best loose cigarettes. Yeah. Not exactly the best block. Loose cigarettes, I always like the the name Lucy's. <laughs> yeah, know, like, Lucy's. Oh, you got a Lucy, Lucy's, yeah. you know. I've never smoked a cigarette. Is that weird to you? No, I actually think that's probably the best thing you ever told me. I have taken <sighs> drags of cigarettes before. Uh yeah. I tried it once in high school. Never a fan. I yeah. Smoke cigarettes. Me either. Um, yeah. I tried it just to, I knew I wasn't going to like it, but it was one of those things where it's like, I think I've told you this before. I do think, and I hate to say it, cover your kids' ears. I do think <laughs> smoking cigarettes looks cool. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm boy. I'm one of those. Oh. I just think like, oh. Oh, I just think uh, my mom's going to fucking yell at me for this. I already know my mom's going to text me about it. And just so you guys know, I don't smoke cigarettes. I know that well, the health risks aren't worth it. But I always thought that like in movies, yeah. when people smoke cigarettes, it looked cool. I was just going to ask you, like, let's break down the exact reason you think it looks cool. And then you said it yourself. It's from the movies. So that's on them. Um, from the movies, it's like an adult thing, you know. Like yeah, I remember yeah. when River Phoenix and Stand by Me put <laughs> yes. that pack of cigarettes yes. under his like white t-shirt shoulder, and it's just like it just okay. looks cool. I don't really know why, okay. but it just does. By the way, I'm going to give a quick little caveat. If you hear a jackhammer, apparently that's happening outside of my house at the exact time we're recording. So. Uh, apologies in advance. So they love you. Yes, they 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 thought. Oh, he's recording. Let's do some jackhammer work on the street outside. Anyway, let's as get back long to the magic's okay. Magic's fine. Yeah, he'll protect me if nothing yeah. else. Um, okay, uh, with his spells. With his spells. That's right. Well, this. Okay, let's get back to the story. Like we said, we're on the Figueroa corridor. It's a thirty-block area known for not the best kind of situation. This particular evening, one of her regular clients called her over and asked to light his cigarette. Cool guy, Mm. according to Darren. Um, She did. Let's pause on that. Okay. Listen, your words, not mine. Your words, not mine. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, She did as he asked, but when she got closer, he grabbed her by the neck and dragged her to a nearby alley where he raped her multiple times. So really disturbing, unfortunate situation. Arguably not cool. Very yes, not cool. An absolute terrible thing. And you know what? Yeah. Obviously, like, we're talking about Figueroa Corner here. This is going to be a dangerous type of place. They're going to attack vulnerable people here. Right. So uh, just a tragic situation all around. It really is. And before he left her lying in the alley, the man warned her that if she ever told anyone, he would kill her. So beaten and terrified and alone, Maria made the brave decision to walk herself to the closest police station where she unfortunately was met with judgment and apathy basically from the officers, which is another thing that drives me crazy because how many episodes of this show have we, have we done and several others I've done in my career where these victims of sexual assault in particular go to the authorities and are just like, oh, you're from Figueroa Alley. Well, you're not worth our time. And it's just such an yeah, injustice. It's such an injustice. I mean, this was 21 years ago. And so I think the spotlight on police and who yeah. they believe and especially sex work in general has at least mm-hmm. 
gotten a little bit more. It's progressed, yeah. It's progressed a little bit, not enough in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, this is also why a lot of sexual assault victims don't want to speak out because they don't think they're going to be believed, let alone sex workers, let alone drug addicts. But regardless of their habits, regardless of what they do, sexual assault is sexual assault. Rape is still rape. No one deserves that just because they're in a line of work under which they're having sex for money. That's ridiculous. And to follow up. It's bad. Yeah. And to follow up on what you said, it's not only that. You know, they're not believed, but they're met with judgment. You know, in this case, that's what happened with the police. You know, their first impressions of Maria were basically based on the fact that she was a drug user and a sex worker. So the initial response was to brush her off. And it's it's a really disturbing reality that a lot of people face in this country. They can't they don't have the same uh, react. Police don't have the same reaction to every person that comes walking into the police department, sadly. Well, nonetheless, she remained in the police station for hours, sort of adamant to file a report until finally the police decided to take her story seriously. And thankfully, within 24 hours, her attacker was identified and brought in for questioning. Their suspect was a security guard at the midnight mission where Maria lived, and his name was Chester Turner. So those are the details. That's the backstory about the tragic situation that she's found herself in. Yeah. And, you know, also a lot of times this tends to be people that people know. And if it was a security guard at this place, I mean, he's going to kind of know the ins and outs and he's obviously going to be this trusted figure. You know, if he's asking to light a cigarette, she's she might not be thinking twice. We don't know anything yet. But, you know, of all people, you would think you would trust kind of a security guard at the place that is exactly obviously a dangerous place. So, well, not only did Maria's bravery and persistence lead to his arrest, but it allowed police to enter his DNA into CODIS, C-O-D-I-S. I'm sure you guys have heard this before. This is a system where it could be compared to evidence, uh, where DNA could be compared to evidence collected at the sites of thousands of cold cases in the state of California, which yeah, is I, really, really massive. Yeah, and specifically it's for people who um, have been behind bars and, you know, basically if you've already committed a crime, they can try to match your DNA to this system. But if you haven't committed a crime, you're not going to pop in CODIS. Most of you guys listening know what CODIS is, but, you know, just to clear it up. Right. Just to well, mansplain. Would, just to mansplain, of course, <laughs> magic explain. Well, this DNA would lead to 11 different cold cases being solved, as well as the exoneration of an innocent man who had spent nearly 11 years behind bars for crimes he did not commit. Unfortunately, this happens all too often, and I yeah. talk about it a lot on the on this show. With his evidence now present in the system, investigators would soon find that Chester was not only a dangerous sex offender, but the most prolific known serial killer to ever haunt the city of Los Angeles. Wow. Which is interesting because I don't think I really know his name. I don't think I've ever really... Yeah, I'm not familiar you know, with Chester, an, no. He's not a is Israel Keys type or anything like that. Now Chester right. DeWay Turner was born on November fifth, nineteen sixty six, in Warren, Arkansas, and at the age of five, his parents had split. His father remained in Warren while his mother took him to L.A., where she raised him as a single parent, which is super hard. So imagine there there were some complications there. Yeah, can I just add one thing? It's very strange, in in my opinion, in nineteen sixty six to go from. Arkansas to Los Angeles, you know, you almost wonder like what was the motivation behind, you know, wanting to go all the way to Los Angeles? You just wonder if there's more detail, but we don't have that in today's research, but I always, I found that information really interesting. 
Yeah, I always feel like people are in search of a, and maybe this is just my own, you know, especially because it's Los Angeles, it's kind of a one industry town of just like, right. you're searching for a dream, you're searching for the palm trees, you're searching to be an actor, mm. like there's just a big dream type of place. Well, Chester showed a tendency towards sexual violence from a young age, earning him mm. the disturbing nickname Chester the Molester from his peers, which I have heard that nickname before. <laughs> Me you know, too, like, yeah. Chester also isn't as common a name as it used to be, so but right. I've definitely heard that nickname. And Chester dropped out of school when he turned 16. After leaving school, he spent the remainder of his teenage years working as a cook and delivery driver for Domino's Pizza to help support himself and his mother. And eventually his mother made the decision to move to Utah and left her son in L.A. to fend for himself. So this is obviously a very broad home life. I mean, anyone that's going to leave their son at that age, and he's already into sexual violence at a young age, he must have seen something young. We don't really know what happened with his parents, but I imagine something like this affected him with his parents that caused him to have this type of of situation yeah i mean it's very bizarre because it's like okay arkansas to la to utah but you're also going to leave your son behind and i don't know something's going on with the parents here that we don't know the full picture but yeah interesting nonetheless well from that day forward chester bounced around local homeless shelters and mission houses moving frequently and struggling to maintain stable housing which is very jarring. I mean, you know, being homeless and not being able to support yourself and not even be able to have shelter is going to affect you in a lot of ways. And as a young man left alone on the streets of L.A., Chester turned to petty crime to survive. Kind of, of course. Like, kind of, This is why we should take care of each other, yes. He had a run-ins, he had several run-ins with the police, earning himself a lengthy criminal record early on in his adulthood. I do want to say Darren was just talking about moving to L.A. to become an actor and and, and search for your dream. I recently yes. texted Darren saying, should I move to L.A. and become an actor? And your response was something along the lines of, what? Where is this coming from? So not well, everybody's going to support. Not everybody's going to support. Well, sweetie, you're getting a cat. You're moving, an a- you're moving to be an actor? <laughs> like It's like I don't even know you. Like We talk a lot. Like mm. What's happening? I'm just saying, I I didn't hear, yes, honey, you're an amazing talent, get there ASAP, you know, but it's fine, everyone's oh. different, it's fine. Well, all right, well, Chester's in L.A. at least. So, yeah, 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 Chester. Well, Chester unfortunately spent time in and out of prison for these nonviolent crimes that Darren was just talking about. However, his most horrific acts spent years unnoticed by the law. As drugs and crime ran rampant over Los Angeles, the police had their hands more than full, which fostered the perfect environment for violent crimes to seek out victims, uh, criminals. Excuse me. Violent criminals. Yes. yes sorry. Um, to seek out the criminal, uh, seek out their victims. Sorry. How As- are you going to be an actor if you can't read lines? <laughs> I can't even like know my lines here. Come on. But especially with communities that were typically overlooked by law enforcement, so LA was not unfamiliar with the spree with spree and serial killers. And often the most vulnerable populations of the city also made the most common targets. Many killers. No, I just want to stop. 
Yeah. I just want, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, this was actually a very big point in that Dahmer series that the oh. cops, it was interesting here because Dahmer was poor, moved into a predominantly black and minority based neighborhood, and those tended to be his victims. Now, one could sort of argue that I think he was just poor and so those happened to be his victims, but the cops sort of argued that he was racist, targeting these guys. Right. But what's interesting here is when the cops are complaining that Dahmer is racist targeting these people the cops are too because they're Mm. not even noticing that these guys are missening so they're blaming Dahmer for kind of and listen I'm not I'm not defending Dahmer here but here she goes again here we go here Uh, you you love all these serial killers they're your best friends all right but they're saying you know hey you know Dahmer you targeted these people because you knew we wouldn't care as opposed to being like yeah yeah we we wouldn't care about these people so right a lot of criminals and a lot of a lot of times and listen, all the things in the headlines, the Cohasset murder these days, the Idaho murders, they tend to be a lot of white people. Gabby Petito tend to be a lot of white people. We don't hear mm-hmm. a lot about uh, the crimes being committed yeah. and the murder of happening of, uh, of black people and minority base. So this is kind of a persistent thing. It's almost the perfect crime when you're going to target someone who's vulnerable that the police aren't going to pay attention to. Sad but true. And many killers would seek out their victims who were homeless, drug addicts, or sex sex workers. And Chester was no different, you know, for all the reasons that Darren just basically pointed out here. He picked up a habit of mingling with the crowd on busy Figueroa Street, earning their trust and becoming a recognized entity, while in reality he was simply stalking his prey and basically planning his next move. Um... During his, excuse me, I hit, hit the mute button on accident. Um, during his oh. prison sentence Ooh. for his, <laughs> oh, um, during oh. his prison sentence for his assault on Maria Martinez, law enforcement began to realize the extent of Chester's crimes. Running DNA through CODIS took time, as the technology was still new at that point. Um, investigators waited over a year after collecting Chester's DNA to start receiving matches. And this was like early 2000s. Wow. Yeah. So finally, in September of 2003, two matches were found. Chester's DNA was found on the bodies of Paula Vance and Brenda Breeze. I hope I'm saying that right. B-R-I-E-S. Two women who had been strangled. Now, Paula <sighs> Vance was murdered in 1998 in a trailer park. So that's those are some of the details we know. CODIS is hitting. We're finding DNA now. It's early 2000s. Let's hopefully get to the point where we find the killer, right? And side note, I think I told you uh, for a Secret Santa gift, I got one of those like crime a day tearaway calendars. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so it's, it's back in my office in New York, but one of the last things that I read before I left was this woman who 45 years ago, like in the 60s, I want to say, or 70s or something. Yeah. Um, she had been woman was found on the side of a road. Like there were just some teenagers looking woman had been found dismembered, mm. uh, torn apart essentially in suitcases along with her unborn fetus of like eight and a half months mm. in the suitcases case was never solved. And mm. then 45 years later, actually January of 2021. So minus that. So yeah. whenever whatever that, that in the seventies or whatever, January of 2021, one of the nephews of this guy uploads his DNA yep. to those like Ancestry, 23andMe kind of sites in the hopes of kind of getting it solved. And they did solve it. Great. And it led all the way back to the boyfriend who had lived with his aunt at the time. And he 
was arrested and charged for the murder 45 years later. So at least they got some kind of justice. But it just goes to show how powerful DNA really is. Absolutely. And if I can just add a quick little plug, you know, you guys, I work at A&E Networks 9 to (laughs) 5 during the day. And I'm the senior producer of a show called Cold Case Files. And this season, we've gotten some really interesting cases about DNA technology from like Darren was saying, 40 plus years ago, and people are uploading their DNA, uh, you know, their ancestry 23andMe results, and we're solving murders left and right nowadays, which I love. It's the it's the best feeling. So check it out it's, if you want to like, listen to something else. It's the Lord's work. It is. It really is. Yeah. Well, back to the story, as you mentioned, Paula Vance was murdered in 1998 in a trailer park, and unbeknownst to her killer, a bystander was watching from afar as the young woman is strangled. Mm. The eyewitness testimony, along with security camera footage and DNA technology, combined uh, identified Chester Turner as Paula's killer. Wow. And Brenda Breeze had been found near Little Tokyo, hidden inside a portable toilet. I mean, Mm, talk about just... Fucking brutal. Now, these two matches would only be the beginning of uncovering Chester's reign of terror. Chester's earliest known victim was 21-year-old Diane Johnson, who was also a sex worker. I know someone named Diane Johnson, so that's freaking me out a little bit, but keep going. It's kind of a common name. (laughs) It is. Yeah, that's Um, true. Yeah. On March 9th, 1987, Chester picked up Diane on the Figueroa Corridor sometime shortly after he strangled her, raped her, and Mm. hid her body behind a construction site off the Harbor Freeway where she would lay until two people in a passing car spotted her and reported her. So he's obviously choosing places that are pretty remote as well to dump the body so that way it gives him time separation from the job itself. In October of the same year, Chester's murderous urges would get the best of him yet again. Mm. And off the shoulder of the highway, 26-year-old Annette Ernest was found raped and strangled. While there were similarities between the two deaths, this scenario, unfortunately, was not an uncommon occurrence at the time. So police did not yet see the connection. Obviously, Figueroa, sex work, rape's going to happen. Mm-hmm. After a long cooling off period, Chester killed again in January of 1989. So, you know, he waited at least a little while, uh, about two years, uh, maybe because he thought that they were hot on his on, hot on his trail. Yeah. yeah. And so that kind of makes it cool off a little bit. Well, Anita Fishman was 31 years old when she was murdered. Like the other girls, she was also strangled and raped. Her body was found outside of a garage in an alleyway near the infamous Figueroa Street. And, you know, strangling and raping, while we could say that was a pattern, that does happen. So it's hard to pinpoint yeah. it to any single person. I mean, strangling, Especially, it's, not like, it's not like with, like, a cable tie or with, like, a certain type of rope or yeah. something like that. And especially at this point, like you were just saying, like, at this time in American history and in, in California history, it, it's not like you can really connect these dots the same way. Like, this is how people were killing at that point. Right, right. Well, eight months later, in September of 1989, a fourth victim was found, and police began entertaining the idea that a single serial killer might be responsible for all the deaths. Regina Washington was 27 years old when her body was located inside a garage. She, too, had been assaulted and strangled. Now, during the autopsy, it was found that Regina was five months pregnant, which is so hard to hear. Yeah, and these descriptions are just so brutal. Like, I mean, it's just like... Well, it's just like like they're just objects, right? It's just like, oh, found in the trash, like, cast aside, found in a toilet, like... Even yeah. talking about it, there feels like there's not as there's not significant weight on it as there should be. These are human people. 
you know? Absolutely. Yes, of course. Well, over the next seven years, four more women would lose their lives at the hands of Chester. I mean, this is him really living up to the uh, whole prolific serial killer thing, right? Because like, how have I not heard of this man? And he's, he's done this much damage to people's lives. It's unbelievable. The body of 29-year-old Andrea Triplett was found in April of 1993. Desiree Jones was found dead only a month later. In February of 1995, another young woman was found strangled, 31-year-old Natalie Price. And finally, in November 1996, 45-year-old Mildred Beasley. Chester's DNA was later identified at each of these scenes, matching him as the brutal killer of all eight women. The remains of each woman, yeah, had been discovered within a four-block radius around Figueroa Street. I mean, are police, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to judge because it's it's a crazy time to be a police officer. I will give them that. But, like, a four-block radius, all these people are getting murdered, like... What 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 is? They don't care about that neighborhood though because it's that's sex what I'm work. saying. Drugs. You know, it's like it's like yeah. these people are asking for it. You know, like, yeah. That's that's what's crazy about it. Well, and that's then there's this nuts. there's this other vibe of, that I feel like so many police departments tend to lean or lean into about these types of neighborhoods, which is that they don't deserve to live. Oh, we're ridding right. the we're or ridding the matter. world. Yeah, we're ridding the world right. of these types of people. We're doing some sort of justice to to society. It's just, I really hope it's not that. I am sort of speculating and projecting my own nervousness around it, I guess, but you can't help but wonder. I'm blanking, I'm blanking on the name. Green River Killer? Who was the guy who was killing all the sex workers because he thought that they were so... They were like a, a scab on society, and yeah. so he thought he was ridding the world of these horrible people. Uh, I forget who like you're talking about, but I know who you're I'm, talking about. Yeah, yeah, just crazy. listeners are probably shouting right now. I know. But anyway, know. in in addition to the string of unsolved homicides, Chester D- Chester's DNA matched with evidence found at two other murders which had previously been thought to have been solved. David Allen Jones was actually charged and convicted of the murders of three women, Tammy Christmas, Deborah Williams, and Mary Edwards. Each of David's supposed victims had been strangled, assaulted, and dumped well within Chester's known stomping grounds. But to your point, Darren, like you were saying earlier, like this is what was happening. Like this is how people were murdered. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the exact same person doing the same thing. Chester's DNA was connected to two of the murders, but to this day, police seem certain that he is guilty of all three of those. David was illiterate and was diagnosed with several mental disabilities, and upon inspection, it was evident that he had been coerced into confessing by police officers. David Jones. This sounds so familiar. uh, I feel like we talked about it on Martinis and Murder or something. Like, this seemed so familiar of just like, and it reminds yeah. me a little bit of Brendan Dassey from how to yeah, make a for murderer, sure. uh, making a murderer, excuse me. And uh, yeah, the coercion confession is almost just as worse as not even caring about the yeah. victims. It's like, you don't even care about who did it. You know, yeah, it's like right. a double edged sword. And so it's just disgusting all around. It really is. Well, David Jones was exonerated of murder and was awarded over $700,000 in settlement after he sued the LAPD In his initial trial, Chester was charged with the murder of 13 victims and was later charged with one additional murder, that of Regina Washington's unborn baby. Mm. 
Chester pleaded not guilty, but with an overwhelming amount of evidence stacked against him, his pleas of innocence were not enough to sway the jury. He was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to death on July 10th, 2007. I wonder if he didn't plead. I wonder if he pled guilty and not not guilty. Yeah. Uh, because obviously with the DNA evidence, overwhelming, like this guy is like either just trying to see what he can get away with or trust or like yeah. believe the system is flawed. But I wonder if he pled guilty if they would have put him to death. Maybe that's why he pled not guilty because he knew it was an immediate like, you're done. See you later. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe. At least, maybe, in a, maybe. at least with a not guilty plea, he knew he was going to get a big sentence regardless and like maybe he could appeal like i feel like a lot of the the pleas that happen happens in the form of like how they will be appealed down the road you know what i mean because i feel like if you plead guilty then you can't appeal anything right that's how i think it goes but anyway nonetheless uh, chester has filed several appeals for his sentence to be lifted all of which, of course, have been denied, and with his most recent request being in 2020, in the same year, he filed to have his charge for murder of Regina's unborn child lifted, which the court agreed to. I'm not sure I like that, but okay, it is what it is. Well, I do kind of wonder if maybe <clears throat> we're arguing about if an unborn fetus is well, life, that. and I don't want to get political yeah, here, yeah, but maybe yeah. depending on the administration or what people thought or this right. and that... No, it's um, fair. It's a political question, unfortunately. Yeah, well, nonetheless, this appeal brought his convicted murders to 13 rather than the original 14 that he was charged right. with. <laughs> so he still, he still has plenty of charges under his belt. Uh, well, today, you know, Chester resides at actually San Quentin State Prison where he currently sits on death row awaiting execution. I think we all know mm. California is not pro... Uh, death penalty at this point so it's hard to say whether or not that'll ever ever happen but um yeah a really tragic Didn't horrible... they choose to keep it though oh did they maybe i'm confusing with another state i thought it was on the ballot and they still chose to keep it maybe i'm wrong about maybe that Maybe i'm wrong then too. my computer's being a little slow but uh yeah <laughs> i don't sus. know i mean obviously i'm I, i'm i'm anti it all yeah. around i think he needs to live out every dying day suffering knowing what he's done but <laughs> that's also just me uh but yeah, yeah this is just like a horrible story of of a horrible thing yeah. i'm curious what his parents kind of thought yeah you know? i mean yeah like where is she is she still in utah is she still alive like you know it's it's right. the one piece of this puzzle that i do think we i wish we had a little parents. more research and evidence on yeah it's just like what happened with the parents because you know, listen, we, we've we've debated plenty of times on the show, by the way, um, nature versus nurture and like what happens to us that makes us one thing or another. And I don't know, this stuff is just so, so brutal that you have to wonder like, you know, what and, and what was the motivation? I mean, we don't even really know much more about that aside from him just being a really horrific you know, having a tendency killer. from a young age. Yeah, I kind of want to know how he grew up, and I think it's both. But I did read somewhere that it was like you can't really help who you are, but you are responsible for who you are. Oh, that's so a good way to so put much it. Indi- 
so much individual responsibility in this anyway that it's hard to just blame a parent or this or that. Eventually, you are going to have to take responsibility for your own life. But, you know, guys, let us know what you guys think at Carpe Darren, at Jay Thrasher. Um, certainly yeah. in our Patreon, we are going to be taking all of our listener shout-outs from there and a lot of comments from there. But you can also write into our Facebook group, Shaken and Disturbed Podcast fans. <laughs> Let's try and end on a positive note here. Uh, with well, some listener shout-outs, John, why don't you take the first one? This isn't going to be very positive for you, I don't think. But, Darren, you posted a picture of your Crocs that I got you for Christmas on yep. Patreon recently. And our friend Maritza said, oh, man, Mom, I think you're, you've are you convinced Daddy Cat. Yeah, that's I right. Say I did. I did. I would say coerced. I would use a different C word. Not, co- not, not convinced, coerced. Yeah. Yeah, but you were proud yeah. of them, and that's why you posted them. So I feel like that's why everyone Would we say that. proud? How do we know it's yeah. proud? How I do, how do proud. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Why don't you go into the next one? You're an English major, so maybe you should look that up. Um, Caitlin also commented on Patreon saying, I really wish it was John who tie-dyed your socks, (laughs) LOL. Well, John, we all know that you're getting into tie-dyeing. That's right. If you missed it, any any updates? Listen, here's the thing. If you missed our Patreon live stream from a couple weeks ago, you'll know that I had a tie-dye mishap for our Patreon uh, physical gift giver. Was it really uh, your fault? It wasn't no, really it's your fault. not. It was a different material. Fabric, the, yeah. The, the shirt, yes, yeah. yes. But nonetheless, Darren decided to wear tie-dyed socks into the Crocs, which I think says everything that you need to know about Darren, to be completely honest with you. So, yeah. It does. I hide the fun in my (laughs) all-black demeanor. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, you can get in on this fun happening on Patreon, too. You can check out the Crocs. You can comment, everything. You can join us for as little as $5 a month. And it helps support the show and keep it running. You can get it even cheaper per month if you sign up for it annually. You can now be a friend, a best friend, a radish, or the very top tier. You get everything we ever do on Patreon, a sussy radish. And I always wanted to be a sussy you radish. Always so have. that always turned always did and your patronage helps keep the lights on and the show running so thank you no matter how oh, much yeah. you've contributed helps keep magic alive obviously <laughs> God, and, and up and true. going gotta do it all links for patreon can be found in our show notes or patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed all one word and of course that is in our show notes yeah yeah and that episode that's it was a good episode and of course we have to say that uh megan helped of course create this week's episode so we're going to give her some love so say it with us no matter where you are out loud one two three thanks megan thanks megan we love love you all and we'll see you back here next week on video for another episode of shaken and disturbed bye Bye.